0: Hello and welcome to Queer's Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. My name is Eli. I'm Alice. I'm Jason. And today we're talking about the 18th century spy, the Chevalier d'Eon. Before we get started, we have some content warnings for this episode. There's actually not a wild amount of stuff. That's not what I expected. Yeah, me too me too uh there may be more stuff next time Uh, (laughs) i think
1: i know some of the things that will come up next time
0: (laughs) yeah uh for this one though there are some brief mentions of kidnapping and attempted murder but like super brief okay and there is also general period typical misogyny and transphobia and transmisogyny but that's really it that's all i have for this episode uh so if any of that still sounds like something that you don't want to listen to feel free to skip this one and listen to any of our other episodes instead now to start this episode off we're gonna do something a little bit unusual and summarize the entire episode at the start okay so if you would like to not listen to this episode uh just turn it off in a minute you're done you've done it good job (laughs) <laughs> um, okay. The reasons for this will become apparent in a second. The Chevalier d'Eon was born, assigned a male at birth, raised as a boy, and began a successful political career in France. When they were middle-aged, rumors began to circulate that they had actually been assigned female at birth, and after a while this was confirmed by the French government, they began living as a woman, and they did so until their death. After they died, they were undressed for burial, and it was discovered that they had a penis. Okay. I wanted to summarise this because A, it will make it a lot more straightforward and I think lead to better discussion here if we just all have the general gist of things, uh, particularly as we'll see a lot of the sources are quite dodgy, uh, so if we don't kind of have those basic facts going through there'll just be a lot of confusion. B, uh, this story is sometimes told in terms of there being not one bit too big twist as to what they're true sex was all along they're really a man no they're really a woman whatever and i feel like that is a very sensationalistic way of telling the story that often dips into the transphobia pool and i wasn't interested in engaging with it yeah Mm -hmm. obviously that story raises the question of what pronouns we're going to use for this person uh yeah it's one of those
2: (laughs) those episodes are becoming more and more frequent on this podcast yeah
0: it's because we've realized that Trans history is better than other kinds. (laughs) Um, See. So most people that have written about the Chevalier have used he, him pronouns. There are also people who will use she, her pronouns, but that's generally not academics. Uh, So, like, just sort of other history podcasts that you'll find on the internet often make the choice of using she, her pronouns. Uh, Not to suggest that, like, academics are the legit ones in deciding people's pronouns, because that's almost the opposite of the truth. (laughs) I felt very conflicted when I was researching this about what pronouns I wanted to use, uh, particularly because there were others who had used she, her. I didn't want to sort of undermine that Mm -hmm. tradition, as it were. Uh, However, ultimately, I decided that it felt most appropriate to use they, them pronouns. And so that is what I'll be doing. Despite the fact that we are generally going to use they, them pronouns, I have decided to keep pronouns the same as what they originally were in quotes just for the sake of clarity and so forth because we will have quotes really using any pronoun mm-hmm. uh, because this is someone who transitions in the public eye uh, mm-hmm. so that seemed like the easiest way to go about that yeah as has happened in other trans episodes maybe most notably the episode we did on Polly murray I don't feel like I'm fully able to explain why that's what I've chosen to do until the end. So you'll just have to trust me.
2: Okay. That is Um, the methodology that we use here. I guess it is,
0: yeah. (laughs) I've also decided to use their surname throughout this instead of a first name. Uh, Which is not a weird thing to do when talking about historical (laughs) figures, but it is weird for us. I don't know (laughs) if we've ever done that. Hmm. Uh, But it's what we're going to do here. You know, first of all, because any of the names that they had in their life are gendered. Mm -hmm. And also because I never saw anyone ever refer to them by a first name when I was doing research for this, and so it feels weird to me at this point. That's Mm -hmm. fair.
2: I understand that also... French people at this time had many, many first names. And like, which one do you use? I've never figured that out.
0: Yeah. They do have like seven first names.
2: (laughs) I guess I should say seven given names rather. Yeah. Yeah, whatever.
0: Anyway, whatever. Um, That become like, some of them become different first names. So overall there's like a high concentration of non-surnames. Yeah. Also, you may have noticed if you clicked on this episode that this is another one where it says part one of two. (laughs) Sorry.
2: (laughs) Um, Nobody's yet complained.
0: No, people do keep encouraging us. So really, this is your fault. Basically, as is true for the other times we've done two part episodes, this person just lived too much of a life to be constrained to one normal length episode. So we're dragging this out over two episodes. So the next one will come out on the 1st of October. I realise this makes the whole thing where, like, I don't justify anything that I do in this episode until the end even worse because you'll have to wait until next month, but that's just how it is. At least there will be less suspense for Alice and I.
2: (laughs) That's true. We'll know sooner.
0: I also do want to mention at the top of the podcast that given that it's not until halfway through their life that they transition into living as a woman and we're going to talk about, their life chronologically a lot of the stuff we talk about at least for the first half of this episode isn't specifically really queer related so hopefully it'll be interesting but you know if you're one of those people like Irene who will be like so I I noticed that none of this is gay (laughs) um, you might be disappointed for a little while last thing before we get into it finally is I just wanted to kind of mention what our sources are for their life So in terms of primary sources, there are a bunch of letters and reports and newspaper articles and stuff like that from the time, but the most significant source is their own writing from towards the end of their life. So this is largely the drafts of an unpublished memoir that was written for a public who understood them to be a cisgender woman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Obviously, that means that they've filtered their life story through that lens, and there's a lot of stuff that we have to kind of recontextualize, and there's stuff that they've obviously just completely fabricated. And so forth. So it's a bit of a tricky document to deal with.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um, um, what kind of time period are we in here? So
0: we're from towards the beginning of the 18th century to the end of the 18th century. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of secondary sources, also, um, this episode is largely based on the work of the scholar of French history, Gary Cates who is the most significant English language scholar on day on today and who I think has a lot of really interesting uh, and great insights into their life and who is also terrible and who I dislike immensely. Uh, So again, (laughs) we will have to wait until next episode to hear in detail about why... But that will definitely be a simmering undercurrent of everything that we do here tonight. (laughs) Okay. Dion was born on the 5th of October, 1728 in Tonnerre, a small town in Burgundy, to a noble family, but not a particularly important one. They're quite a clever bookish child. They go to live in Paris when they're in their teens, where they enter college, studying liberal arts and law. Uh, They do really, really well at it, especially at languages and memorization, which is a skill that you used to need to have.
2: (laughs) I feel like that was the key skill in, like, old timey university.
0: It was a very important skill, yes. Yeah. They graduated with a law degree in 1749. After their studies, they got a job in public service and wrote their first book on French government finance. I promise this gets more interesting. <laughs>
2: like, not, no offense, but this sounds tedious right now.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I believe it'll get better. Unfortunately, to be a spy, you have to get a government job first is sort of the thing at this time, I guess. I
2: guess it's like the Australian equivalent where to be a spy, you have to accept you're going to live in Canberra for a while.
0: (laughs) After this, they got a job as a royal censor. So the French government is very intense about censoring what gets published at this time. And censors are essentially paid to read new books. Uh, and are often allowed to spend a lot of time exploring a chosen field rather than strictly focusing on their profession. so it sounds like a pretty good gig.
2: that sounds nice.
0: So by their early 20s, they're well-educated, they're very eager and ambitious, and they're generally well set up to enter the French political scene. Just a, like, game for the two of you here. Do you want to just, like, think about every time they remind you of, like, Alexander Hamilton in Hamilton the Musical? (laughs) This comparison hadn't occurred to me yet. I was just like, they've got
2: a cushy government job, they're getting paid to read books, they're very clever, like, good for them. Yeah. (laughs) Just,
0: like, keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, France at the time is ruled by Louis the... Do you want to take a guess? 14th 13th 15th who had succeeded his grandfather (laughs) louis the 14th at the age of five ah one of these yes one of these louis the 14th was louis the great the sun king and during his long reign france was the leading european power louis the 15th never measured up to this example and by the time of his death in 1774 the country was militarily weakened its treasury was drained and it was ripe for a revolution in the 1750s, France is one of several great powers in Europe, though, and they're all just sort of desperately trying to expand at the expense of the others. I think if you just kind of imagine that sort of political scene, it'll be fairly accurate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, okay. Louis is focused in particular on Poland. So Poland's king had been chosen by noblemen in election for a while now, uh, but had recently been seized by its neighbouring Saxons in 1697. I know this is still really dry. I promise there'll be spies soon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you do need to set up politics in order to have spies. Yes, unfortunately true. At the time, Poland is about twice the size that it is now, and it is therefore a very desirable piece of real estate. Some Polish noblemen approached Louis's cousin, the prince de Conti, and suggested that he become king de conti is talented and handsome and very very ambitious and louis kind of both wants him to do well because he's very close with him and also knows he has to satiate his ambitions because otherwise he might do a coup yep
2: okay
0: so in order to satiate those ambitions and to control poland louis wants conti to be on the throne but he can't support this plan openly because the official position of the french government is support for the saxons So Louis doesn't want to risk alienating them. That would be very, very risky. Mm. So Louis decides he's going to have it both ways. Publicly, they're going to keep supporting the Saxons. Privately, he's going to try and get Conti on the throne. Mm -hmm. This is kept a secret from the court and from his own foreign minister. And to this end, he created a network of spies called the King's Secret, which numbered about 20 by the time he died. Okay, so we've entered spy territory now. We are in spy territory. Good. <laughs> That's what we're here for today. Yes. The members of the secret are put into a very difficult position. They're often given two sets of directly contradictory orders: one from, say, Conti, and one from the foreign minister. And they have to juggle these and seem to be working towards Saxon control whilst undermining it and ignoring direct orders from the government, which. Like, I feel like we're just like, oh, yeah, spies, but, like, this is a very big deal. Mm. Yeah. Good. Mm. I'm glad. Yeah, <laughs> no, that was, that's intense. And yes. And there
1: would be a lot going on.
0: There is a lot going on, yeah. As Gary Cates points out, this also highlights and furthers weaknesses within the monarchy. It undermines confidence in the government's authority, and it encourages cynicism and disobedience in the members of the secret, essentially creating a class of people within the government who view the laws of the government as not applying to them.
2: I guess that makes sense, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Maybe this will come back later. (laughs) In 1755, partly in pursuit of their Polish goals, France decides to try and strengthen ties with Russia and sends the Chevalier Andrew Douglas to further its goals. He's a Scotsman living in France, just accept that that's his name. (laughs) (laughs) Dion is sent with him as his secretary and inducted into the secret, aged
2: 27. So let me clarify at this moment what a Chevalier is. Um, like a knight sort of thing. Okay. You know, like a high-up
0: cool dude.
2: So it's just like a title that you can be given for yeah. being a high-up cool dude? Yeah. Okay. And Andrew Douglas, Douglas is one? Is and one, yes.
0: Is down Not yet, but okay. uh, the title of this episode has indeed spoiled the fact that at some point they will be given this title. <laughs> Correct. Their task in Russia is officially to persuade Empress Elizabeth that Russia shouldn't support England in the coming war, and secretly to try and promote Conti in, like tell everyone that he is great (laughs) okay in 1756 prussia your fave alice allied with england led by frederick the great your fave oh hey we're doing an episode on him one day one day (laughs) invaded saxony and the seven years war started
2: oh sound familiar to you yeah because um baron steuben oh began his military career i believe in the seven years war
0: he's here yeah wow
1: so much crossover He's he's around yeah
0: So in Russia, Douglas and Dion said about bribing key people to help France's position in the war. Mm -hmm.
2: So I don't need, like, a full list of what side everyone in Europe is on, but broadly speaking, like, France is going to war with England and –
0: no, wait, you said Russia? France. Okay. So England and Prussia are allied. Okay. Russia is up in the air for quite a while, so they're trying to figure out what to do about Russia right now. Yeah. Uh, Austria is with France, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that anyone else was mentioned as being overly important.
2: Okay, I just wanted to get a vague idea of what yeah. war was happening here.
0: Yeah, Like, the 70s war is going to be here for maybe five minutes, to be clear. Okay, cool, so, that's fine. We'll ignore uh, that then. Like...
2: I mean, I did the same thing in the story episode where I was like, I could understand this or I could not waste time
0: on that. Yeah. It's that thing, right? Where you're like, I could understand this major historical event and then delete all of those notes and say nothing about it in the episode. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you don't do that. To help relations between Russia and France, Elizabeth and Louis begin a secret correspondence just to kind of get to know each other a big you know? Yeah. Pen pals. Pen pals. And Dion carries this between St. Petersburg and Versailles on horseback. Keeping the letters in a secret compartment of a copy of Montesquieu's Spirit of the Laws, which I just thought was some cool spy stuff. <laughs> that's yeah, good. That,
1: that is cool spycraft. Also, yeah. oh my god, that's a lot of writing.
0: Yeah, yeah, just, yeah.
1: just so so much writing. Yeah, you know, I, I think we don't think about the logistics of
0: doing anything in the 18th century.
1: Yeah, <laughs> enough because mm. I mean, I get that Europe's not that big, but it's it's still St. Petersburg to Versailles is a long way.
0: Yeah. This all goes pretty well because in November of 1757, Elizabeth signed a treaty with France and its allies against Prussia and Dion hurried back to Paris in a stagecoach with this news so quickly that they broke a leg. Did they
1: break a leg in a stagecoach
0: crash? I have no further information, (laughs) but I wasn't going to not tell you that. (laughs) I was just
2: logistically like, how did they... <laughs> I don't
0: know but they like did
1: they
2: did I guess yeah. in a crash yeah yeah, yeah
1: or, or potentially they were just in such a hurry that as they were getting into or out of the stagecoach they just like fell over. <laughs> Maybe.
0: That's much less dramatic but like also could have yeah. occurred. As a result of their time in Russia they come to be recognized as an expert on Russian politics and when Elizabeth dies eventually in 1762 Louis turns to Dion for a summary about what they think Louis should do. Politically. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good. So they're, like, working their way up, their cushy government job. Dayon does also go to war during the Seven Years' War. Mm-hmm. They're appointed assistant to the Comte de d'Abrouille, who is aide to his brother, the Maréchal Bruis, who is co-commander of the Army of the Rhine, which is a lot to say that, like, they're in a big, important place now. Okay. They're also made a captain of the Dragoons, which is an elite oh. brigade. It's all fancy. <laughs> Dragoon is one of my favorite. Old timey military words.
2: <laughs> I was trying to work out what that reaction to dragoon. was with like, this? <laughs> I
1: need to put some dragoons in my like next d d campaign.
0: The war is already winding down when they reach the front lines, so they're not actually there for very long. Okay. Uh, Frederick the Great has done very well, as you'll tell us one day, Alice, in an episode about. Him.
2: And uh, as I do tell you in the Stroben episode, I believe True. maybe yeah. I cut I that bit of my I wasn't notes in that episode. Oh, and you? Oh no, you haven't. No. Nah.
0: But yeah, so Frederick the Great had done very well. He hadn't lost any territory and Prussia is going to come out of this war very strong, doing very well. Mm-hmm. The French less so, they have a very embarrassing loss at Villingshausen, and the Bourbons take the fall. Someone has to. And they are exiled to their estates for two years. Life's hard. Life's hard. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> the whole thing where people get like exiled for losing battles and then like They just kind of come back later.
2: But also at Exile, it's like, can you just go hang out in your, like, big country house for a while? And just, like, chill? Yeah. Like, okay, fine, I'll lose the battle then.
0: (laughs) Despite them being exiled, you know, despite the fact that the two guys that Dion is working directly under being completely disgraced, they managed to avoid this. Uh, you know, they're only at war for a few months, and those few months don't go great, but they're very praised for their courage and skill and come off oh, quite well. So good. Good for them. Nice. Good. In fact, Louis is so impressed with them that he appoints them secretary to the Duke de Nivenay, who is negotiating a peace with England in London. Oh, Okay. So they go off to London to their new job. And they work very, very hard there. Nivenay says of D'Eon to the foreign minister, D'Eon is at work usually from morning to night. I cannot sufficiently extol his zeal, vigilance, amiability of disposition and activity. They arrive in England in September of 1762 and they have a treaty knocked out by November. Good
2: work. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's a glowing recommendation. Nivenay hated England. Uh, and suggests that he leaves Deon in charge until an ambassador is appointed and sent. The government agrees with this, and Nivenay gets to go home, and Dion gets to be appointed Minister Plenipotentiary to London until the ambassador, the Comte de Gershi, shows up to be the ambassador in October next year. So, what Minister Plenipotentiary means uh, is basically just um, oh god, I was about to say as we can see from the Latin root because. I'm <laughs> <the worst. laughs> It means essentially that they have, like, full power to make decisions off their own authority. So they have, like, a year of this? Yeah. So he said, yeah, okay. Yeah, like about a year. yeah. Cool. To return to our cool spy club that exists. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Relations between Louis and Conti had soured by this point, maybe because Conti was planning a coup. You know, shocking twist. <laughs> <laughs> we knew this would happen. I mean, I didn't know this would happen.
2: Oh, okay. Well, we knew this would happen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, now you know. <laughs> <laughs> the secret, therefore, never succeeds at its original goal. Of making contention of Poland. Yeah, that that <laughs> never happens. Poland is going to be carved up by Russia, Austria, and Prussia by, like, the end of the century. The secret would, therefore, appear to be obsolete. It's also quite dangerous and costly, so it makes complete sense that we just pretend that never happened at this point but instead louis decides he likes having this way of kind of doing whatever he wants and replaces conti with bruy as the head of this organization so bruy is not disgraced anymore well no he's still in exile he can just do this i I, don't know (laughs) i don't understand french politics i think i mean it's a thing where like this isn't an official position right yeah this is something secret you're doing that's illegal
2: I guess choosing someone who's
0: ostensibly in exile and
2: nobody's paying that much attention to is maybe mm. a good choice. He was
0: also just, like, quite high up in this already. You know, he may have just been, like, the only natural choice. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, yeah, I think the situation with him being exiled is less that Louis personally hates him now and just, like, politically someone has to be mm-hmm. publicly uh, punished for this and you're it. Sorry. Yep. Mm. But please be my spymaster. master yeah so it's worth noting here again that there's this trend of dion's personal victories not equaling french victories so there have been a series of events here that have all gone relatively poorly for france but that dion does really really well off so the plan to put conti on the polish throne uh the war in general even the treaty is actually quite humiliating for france Right, okay. Uh, okay. It's so, seen as sort of the best they could have done, hmm. uh, but, like, it's not a good deal.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. so so Dion is uh, failing upwards.
0: Yeah, uh, wildly. <laughs> it's great. I don't know what, like, skill checks they're succeeding at. They <laughs> are. All of them. Yeah, like, literally every single one. Bory, hmm. as head of the secret, decides that he wants to attack England despite them having just signed a peace treaty and hatches a plan to invade
2: is louis like let's do this or yeah. is roy
0: just okay no
2: louis like yeah let's do it that sounds great this is what's wrong with monarch <laughs> <laughs> i feel like louis may
1: trust uh, roy too much
0: i i don't know i feel like louis just like not very good at his job and that seems to be the general consensus yes Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. so they send a military officer to work under dion sort of like scouting the english coast for places to invade england <laughs> So the plan is that Dion is going to write reports in code and send it back to France and set about like bribing people and things like that and generally bribing England to get invaded. This obviously doesn't happen, so I'm not going to like spend too much time on the plan. <laughs> but it's just funny. It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. Louis approves this and because this is a really big thing to be doing puts assurance in writing and a copy of this assurance is sent to Théon. So they have it in writing from the French king that Like, yeah, you can spy for me and figure out how we can invade England. That's just a
1: document that is in England.
0: Yes, it is!
1: (laughs) With a spy. Yep! Uh, Louis.
0: Yeah, they have... You
1: are not intelligent.
0: Yeah, I...
1: This is not a good idea. It's not going to end well for you. You will not get to go to space today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of, like, Louis' whose reigns end badly... (laughs) Could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that next episode. So, Dion is again going to have to juggle two direct superiors the foreign minister and Roy, and the ambassador has not even shown up yet. Amazing. So, everything's just feeling a little tense in London. Yeah. On a trip to Paris. Dion is awarded the Cross of St. Louis, which is quite a rare and prestigious award. Uh, it originated during the reign of Louis XIV, so it was given by the king himself to those who showed unusual heroism in war. For Dion, it's, it's really given more for like everything else that they've done than what they did in war, but it's still a very impressive thing to have received and it also makes them higher in rank so they are now a chevalier okay. instead of okay and this is going to open a lot of doors for them casually working in the movie title <laughs> <laughs> i might as well mention at this point that once they start living as a woman they keep this title but it's changed to the feminine form of the word uh which is the one it has in our episode title so you can look at it maybe these are pronounced differently i don't know and i probably couldn't <laughs> make them sound different if I could. So if I'm inadvertently kind of misgendering them by pronouncing them in a male way, I'm sorry. But we're just gonna say Chevalier this whole time. Yep. Yeah. And that's just how it is. <laughs> yeah, We are not French. No.
2: French vowels are hard for English speakers. French consonants aren't
0: great either, frankly. Yeah. Just French. Yeah. So they go back to England and they start working really, really hard um, negotiating issues related to the treaty to try and keep up the peace with england and also trying to destroy the peace with england and also writing boring analyses of british french political affairs and stuff Mm -hmm. as both ambassador and spy they have to be very skilled at securing social connections and they were uh in may 1763 they dined at strawberry hill for example (laughs) which is horace walpole's amazingly extra goth house that we have an episode on, kind of. Uh, so you can go and listen to that.
1: Is this during Horace Walpole's life? Yeah, before? yeah, yeah. Yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Awesome. So, like, Horace Walpole has built this house and is being the, like, premier gossip of England. Mm-hmm. And so Down goes and hangs out with them.
1: Yeah, I, I knew that this yeah. was obviously, like, not before Horace
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> I wasn't yeah. sure if it was during or after. Yes.
0: But, yeah, I want to make clear that, like, they've met and had conversations. And yeah. Horace Walpole will come up again, next episode hey okay
1: this is this is great there's so many crossovers here
0: yeah we yeah. the more we do this the more this happens yeah which that is, is true yeah they're quite a good conversationalist despite having quite bad English uh, which I would love to see in action hmm. like I don't feel skeptical about that but I feel like there must be quite a force of personality there and I would like to see it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. They would also very liberally give gifts of wine from their home region. Um, You know, so, like, they're from Burgundy. Wine place. There's some quite fancy wine going on there, and they're very proud of it. That's Uh, nice. They said, and I think this is our first direct quote from them, so you Mm -hmm. can kind of, like, form your impressions of their personality. Without good wine, there would be neither good people nor good poetry nor good painting nor good culture. Good. I like it. They care about wine. (laughs) They are from Burgundy. (laughs) They are, yeah. Yeah. The French government is quite poor at this point, and only is ordering thousands and thousands of bottles of wine at its expense.
1: <laughs> I thought you were going to say like thousands and thousands of currency units of wine, but no, no b- of bottles, uh, thousands and Lots thousands of
0: wine.
2: <laughs> are there just whole ships that are just like, oh, hey, that's Deon's like monthly wine ship?
1: <laughs> Maybe so. I can't tell you that that's not true. Um, I'm reminded of my aunt and uncle's camper van. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Where they've got, a, they've got a secret, like not a secret, but like a false flaw in the caravan. And so the entire bottom layer is storage space. They have
2: a camper van with a wine cellar is what you're saying?
0: Yeah. Oh my god.
1: There are 300 <laughs> bowls of wine in it. <laughs>
0: what happens if they crash?
1: Then they break. and Then a lot of, then I'll be very sad. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because of the camper van, but also because of the wine. Yeah.
0: Anyway. This may have something to do with why they were criticized by the French foreign minister for spending too much. I mean, fair. <laughs> Dion then learned that they were going to be demoted to secretary to the ambassador when the ambassador showed up. Mm-hmm. It's not really clear if this was routine and was going to happen anyway, or if this was a punishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but they were definitely very offended by it, and they were openly hostile in their letters home. Nivenay tried to smooth things over, but Dion was unrepentant and would not allow things to be smoothed over. So here's our second quote from them. I have acted with due reflection, as is my want, and as my intention is always to act for the best, I have never yet repented of my past actions, and I do not anticipate that I shall have to repent of my future actions. Ooh, that's a <laughs> hell of a mic drop. Yeah. I enjoyed that. They continue to escalate hostilities with the French government, and are urged by more people they know, like members of the secret, etc., to accept the demotion calmly, to just sort of go along with things, to stop making a scene, and they responded... I didn't really need to give you another quote this close together, but I wanted to. <laughs> I'll always go my own way. Fate has determined that. The bomb must burst. The fuse is at the end of the wick. Too bad for those who get splashed with mud or hit with the pieces. Those with the most fear will pull back. The devil take me if I retreat. <laughs> so, you know, things have escalated somewhat. Think- yeah.
2: I feel like everything in this episode has just happened so rapidly. Like, they got their job. They were amazing. They got, like, hugely promoted. And now they're just like...
1: Yeah,
0: Attacking bright, the French government. Like solving something bright stars.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, they sound incredibly intense.
0: Yep. The foreign minister issued an order of recall on October 4th, 1763.
2: That's the that's day before their birthday. True, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: hadn't thought about that. Wow, that's very rude then. I Yeah, I guess so. I guess, like, when you're kind of doing treason, they don't wait until after your birthday to punish you for it. <laughs> just a wee bit of treason mm. so this is obviously quite bad news they're going to be exiled at best thrown in jail at worst uh, their political career is ruined and so what they decide to do in response to this is just to ignore the order so now we're, we're talking about the potential of a treason charge. they told gershi who is the ambassador uh, who had by now arrived in london that they had been made minister plenipotentiary by the king and they could only be recalled by the king thank you very much the king sided with his ministers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Look, Louis made some bad decisions, but like I feel like that was a good decision.
0: Yeah. So it should be stressed how shocking their actions were. They were viewed as disproportionate to the offence that they had been dealt and just illogical to the extent that people were debating whether or not they had gone insane. So it's worth spending some time talking about why they reacted this way, why mm-hmm. they didn't just like calm down and accept the demotion. Um, As we've mentioned a little bit before, honor is very important at the time Mm -hmm. to the French. Not helping the matter, Gershi is unpopular and quite mediocre, really, Mm -hmm. at his job. Mm -hmm. But there's also the fact that due to their role in the secret, they would have understood themselves as being more important and more justified in spending a bunch of money than the government did. Mm -hmm. so to them they're quite an important person they're trying to do all this stuff and the government does not understand them as being that important
2: and I guess that's why they would try to appeal to the king and be like I'll go back when the king recalls Mm. me because Louis knows how important
0: they supposedly are yeah Mm. Um, the secret, members of the secret, had previously routinely ignored the orders of the foreign minister, and indeed had been told to do so by the king. Mm. Furthermore, others in the secret had already suffered disastrous political falls. Uh, so we've mentioned the Bori brothers. <laughs> I can't help but, like, lapse into super-Australian when I say that Boy. name. Bori. <laughs> but there are others as well who we don't have the time to touch on in this episode. Um, And they're isolated in a foreign country, you know, which is a pretty prime set of conditions to create feelings of vulnerability. Their secretary muted at the time that they were very stressed, and this had affected their personality. So I guess out of all of that, we can kind of create a picture in which we can see why someone might end up in this place. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: And I mean, you know, like, as we were kind of talking about before, they've had a very rapid rise. Yeah. And so, like, I think it's a pretty common thing when you've had a very rapid rise to not necessarily feel sure-footed in your position and to feel that you have to grasp onto any power that you have been given. Mm. And oh, yeah. clearly by accepting that position or by accepting the recall to France, they would be giving, they would be taking a step back. Mm. And often people who
0: rise really quickly are very wary of doing that. Yeah, yeah that's true. To take a complete step out of the narrative into something that doesn't really need to be here, around the time that all of this is going on, dion's secretary, cousin, and close friend died at the age of 28 from smallpox. Oh. Okay. And Dayon is very upset about this, but not least because it was not a necessary death. The smallpox vaccine was relatively recent in Europe at the time, and it was quite championed by the British, but the French were quite wary of it. dion was a big fan of it and supported inoculation, but their cousin did not. And don wrote in a letter uh, that made me real emotional, quote, he never wanted to inoculate himself. He always persisted in the vain opinion that he would never get smallpox because his grandfather reached the age of 90 without contracting it. He died a martyr to such prejudice. And obviously that's a very relevant statement today. You know, people are still dying needlessly because mm. they're wary of vaccines for whatever reason. And it just really freaked me out that there were people in the 18th century saying like, this didn't need to happen. Yeah. That's so long ago. So, you know, it's okay to be a little bit freaked out by vaccines. There's a lot of misinformation going around, but educate yourself and educate your family and go and get vaccinated. Thank you. That has been our mid-episode soapbox
1: <laughs> a PSA from queer as fact
0: yep especially as you know I know a lot of you are in the northern hemisphere and we're gonna get into winter soon and you know get your flu shots okay let's move on <laughs> <laughs> so if we remember Dion has some papers oh yeah they, they do they sure <laughs> do and Louis is quite stressed about these papers well maybe you messed up a bit Louis maybe so and he tells Goshi that you know Dion has some sensitive documents can you please get those for me? By any means necessary.
2: So is the invade England plan still on the table? Or... I think it's kind of a little up
0: in the air at the moment. Okay. It's not been officially scrapped, but I don't think it's the first thing everyone's thinking about.
2: Okay. But then did it ever officially exist, or was it literally just Louis being like, what if we
0: invaded I England? I mean, they were working on it. Yeah. Like, they were writing reports. There was a guy whose job it was. To oh, I guess like, there was that guy. Look going. at coasts and be like, yeah, you know. We can land here. We could land here. Yeah. We
1: could put some boats here. Yeah. Could be a nursery. <laughs>
0: Louis also began trying to extradite Dayon through the English government, which would have publicised what was until now quite a under-wraps affair Mm-mm. High up figures in the English government discussed this and declared that Dayon hadn't broken any laws and was free to stay in England as a free citizen. Yep, okay which, That's some great sass <laughs> from the English is. government there. It is <laughs> <laughs> So,
1: I mean they were getting a lot of wine out of this. So. That's
0: true <laughs> <laughs> France is coming to view Deon as a criminal. Mm-hmm. There are several attempts to kidnap them made. At dinner one night, Gershie tries to drug Deon to this end, and they're sick for quite a bit. There are some brief mentions of kidnapping, drugging, and attempted murder. They write this quite intense letter to Broy and Louis about all the weapons and defensive measures they have in their house to avoid being kidnapped. Cool. Yeah.
2: Okay. So that's how life is like now. Yep.
0: Kind of being like, I could hold this house for this long sort of thing, which is real intense. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. This has escalated a lot. This has escalated so much. Under Bory's advice, Louis decides that what he's going to do is strip down of all formal titles, but pay them enough money to live in London as a private citizen and to keep them on as a spy. Okay. They're stalled for a long time trying to figure out how to do this without the French foreign ministry realising that something is up. And during this time, Daniel isn't aware that Louis decided to compromise and has a plan there, and they have no reason not to think that they've been completely abandoned. So they decide what they're going to do is throw their lot in with England and hand over all of their papers to the English government if the matter isn't resolved by a deadline, which is in a couple months.
2: And that includes the invading England paper?
0: i i mean i guess that's the implication okay yeah yeah. and so in march of 1764 to show they're not bluffing they publish a 200 page document about the affair filled with private correspondence (sighs) this is getting so out of hand it is quite out of hand the document doesn't actually reveal anything too serious it doesn't mention the secret at all certainly Mm -hmm. but nevertheless this is very scandalous and france is just in complete shock It's discussed constantly throughout Europe. Dayon becomes a household name. And the affair immediately becomes about the publication of this document instead of about anything else. It Mm -hmm. eclipses everything. And the overwhelming opinion was that Dayon had had no right to publish it.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. The king is in quite a difficult position here, having to either expose the secret or dishonor himself by just kind of letting Dayon get away with it. Mm -hmm. And so he decides to charge Dayon with libel, and approve a plan to kidnap them. <laughs> They're actually found guilty of libel when they go into hiding. And then the whole thing changes again when one of Gershi's men, a guy called Divergy, swears before court that he had been part of a plot to kill Dion, and that this goes back to Gershi and the French foreign minister.
2: When? Like, when were they supposed to kill Dayen? Like, What do you mean? He's swearing he was part of a plot to kill Dion. Yeah. Like, like clearly the plot hasn't happened. No, I wasn't clear if he was saying, Oh, we've been playing to like, Like, awesome for a while.
0: Yeah, like, the implication I believe is we've been trying to kill this person and we are are actively trying to kill them. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Um, which is quite a thing. Tell me more. Yes. So obviously, this means the libel case isn't really going to go anywhere. Deion's off the hook for that one. Mm-hmm. It also accelerated the plan to make peace with Deion that had been becoming like rapidly less likely. It's now back on the cards. Mm-hmm. So,
1: so to be clear, was yes. this this plan existed
0: to kill them? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a guy admits to it.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah
0: like yeah. and swears it in court.
1: Cool. I wasn't sure if there was going to be like additional no, no, twist. No, no, no. Yes, like, this
0: is just what happened. Like these yeah. uh, guys high up in the military were like, "Yeah, let's just let's just uh, let's just kill them. Hmm. Yeah. Louis, like, yeah, all right, let's make a deal. <laughs> and Bory works out a deal between Dion and Louis. Dion is going to get a pension, keep their titles, and not be prosecuted. And they're also going to stay a spy for Louis, but they can't return to France. Okay. This is a pretty good deal for them.
2: I mean, they didn't seem to want to return to France. Well, why do you say that? I mean, no, I guess they wanted to keep, like, be ambassador in England, but that doesn't mean they didn't want to go to France. Yeah, so
0: they want to be ambassador in England because it is them climbing ever further in french politics yeah Mm -hmm. not because
2: they like england not because they like england yeah
0: so i don't know that we have this from them in so many words anywhere but the eventual goal of french politicians is to become a minister in Versailles or something Mm -hmm. like that like it's you know yeah
1: i mean if if they wanted to stay in england they had the plan to stay in england which was to betray the french government
2: yeah that's true and
1: they chose not to do that
0: i mean that's you know that's, Obvious, obviously,
1: yeah. that's like that's a that's very intense. Stuff. <laughs> that's a very intense way to stay in England. Yeah.
0: So yeah, like this is a pretty good deal for them, given that at various times during this, it seems like they're probably going to get thrown in the Bastille. But it isn't really sustainable. Like the situation isn't resolved. They're just sort of in exile. Their political career seems to be pretty much over. Mm-hmm. Although they never really accept that. It is now 1766. And they now spend about a decade in this just sort of limbo. Just hanging out with Horace Walpole, drinking wine. Yeah, like, they're not friends, to be clear.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fine. Um,
1: They're hanging out with someone in England drinking wine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I I don't know, like, are they still getting wine sent to them? Maybe not as much. Well, they're getting a pension. Oh, yeah, they are getting a pension. They're They're not getting, like,
0: wine sent to them by the government to bribe people, but, like, they still have money and they still like wine, so I'm going to say yes. Fair. fair. (laughs) You know, things are going to calm down for a second here now. Because, you know, they're in exile, they're not doing a lot. For the start of their exile, they spend several hours a day writing in their study. They publish a 13-volume work on government finance, policy, taxation, and so forth uh, that I made no attempt to find or read. (laughs) That's (laughs) fine. It's just quite an impersonal academic work. They also read really widely. Over their time in England, they amass over 6,000 books, uh, this collection is later auctioned off, which means that we therefore have a list of the books, oh, which good. is quite cool. That's um, awesome. So there's a lot of stuff like law, government, military strategy, classic texts, grammars, encyclopedias, religious works. Mm-hmm. So just sort of like the typical large library of someone yeah. at the time who was academically minded. And yeah, they're just kind of living a fairly quiet existence for a while. Would you like it to get kind of queer? <laughs> it has
2: been noticeably not
0: queer <laughs> yeah, thus far. That's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Sometime during 1770, rumours begin to circulate that they are a woman. We don't know how this really got started, and given how rumours are, we're never going to know. Mm -hmm. The first written example we have of it is in October of 1770, when Louis writes to one of his generals and mentions, do you know that Monsieur de Chatelet, who is the new ambassador of France, now that Gershi obviously can't be the ambassador of France, given that he tried to kill somebody... is convinced that Dion is a girl. Next, one of Horace Walpole's correspondents writes to him in December saying, I almost forgot to tell you that Monsieur Dayon is a woman. That's what's passing for fact. So several other kind of accounts like that can be found. Um, they're all quite lighthearted. They treat it as this sort of amusing tidbit. And there's no reference to any kind of like big inciting incident for how people started to think that this was true. Hmm. Okay. Immediately, London businessmen start betting on the matter. <laughs> Because sure. <laughs> I um, guess that's what London businessmen do. Yeah. We don't have any reference at this time in Dow's papers or anything like that to how they feel about the rumor in general. But we do know that once they heard there was betting, they were furious. They confronted one of the bankers who was taking bets like in a tavern
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: and challenged him and anyone else who was involved to a duel. And they were all quite perplexed by this. They just sort of calmly explained that they weren't doing anything illegal. Uh, We're not going to duel you. There's no reason to do that. And Dale has to, like, leave.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay
0: that's yeah that's really awkward yeah, it is really awkward yeah they're just like no <laughs> <laughs> question marks.
2: i feel like yeah. you were taking bets on my gender. i challenge you to a jewel is not something that i would like i would expect in this time that that would be a reasonable reason to challenge someone to a well, jewel
0: i think that there's a bit of cultural difference going on between the french and the english here where in france like refusing a jewel at all is very shameful oh yeah the but french the were like whatever all about jewels just leave yeah <laughs> Just how angry Daniel was about this only further convinced people that the rumours were true mm-hmm. and helped them to spread. As rumours will do. Yes. There were a lot of people who wanted them to be examined by a doctor so that they could confirm either way and get a lot of money out of it.
2: I was going to say, when you started with, like, they were taking bets, I was like, what is their hope here? Like, <laughs> yeah. I guess that's how they,
0: you know. Yeah, Daniel again, begins to fear that they might be kidnapped by people who want to collect on their wages and then Down disappears. Their friends are afraid that they've been kidnapped or killed. Six weeks later, they reappear, saying that they'd gone on a trip to Germany and heard that they'd been declared missing and were alarmed and decided to come back. In letters to Broy, Down confessed that they'd planned to flee to Ireland, where no one knew who they were, and travel under an assumed name. Mm -hmm. Life in London becomes increasingly unbearable. They're constantly mobbed by people who are just curious about them. They spend a lot of time just shut up in their house like they can't go anywhere Hmm. a friend of theirs invites them to come and stay at their country estate and they obviously accept Mm -hmm. and between 1771 and 1777 they spend about half their time there in the country just not having to deal with this situation
2: that's a long time for this to keep going on yes
0: in 1772 Roy sends his secretary over to london on some political business but also instructs him to find out whether dion is a woman the secretary, his name is Drouet, is in London for a month. And when he returns to Versailles, he confirms, yeah, Dion is a woman. Okay. Bray wrote to the king that, quote, he can certify to me after having examined and touched with much attention that the so-called Sir Daon is a girl. Drouet also said that Daon had admitted this to him in confidence.
2: I just don't know what's going on here. I just don't.
0: The way that Gary Cates argues that this went is that clearly Dion wanted to believe that they were a woman yeah. and therefore for the French government and just sort of people generally to believe that they were a woman and so did admit this mm-hmm. uh, and convinced them of it mm-hmm. uh, as for what they're saying that this guy touched I do not know mm-hmm. but possibly that part is him being like oh yeah I better put a spin on it so it sounds more plausible it's
1: interesting to me that he was sent over there To uncover this information. Hmm. And, like, I'd be interested to know what the kind of context for that was. Like, why was it so important to them? And was there an answer they were expecting, or was there an answer they were looking for?
0: Um, Were they just like, we need to clear this up because it's been going on for a while? I think, like, this is becoming increasingly high-profile, and Hmm. I assume that it would be something where like just as a matter of them knowing how they're going to handle it if it continues to escalate mm. they mm. kind of need to know the yeah, truth yeah. but also as we'll get into going on um the way that the french government treats down and their political situation does change quite dramatically once everyone's convince that they're really a woman mm. uh, and we'll get into that into a bit but it's to the extent that some people have argued that this is a cisgender man who saw this as the only way out of his political situation uh and you know like i, I disagree mm. uh, i don't think that that's a particularly supportable reading <laughs> that's of quite a way situation. out too yeah but that does give you some degree about like how much that changed how they were treated politically yeah anyway to return to Gary Cates for a second based on his understanding that Dion wanted people to think this Cates thinks that Dion started the rumors themselves and that this entire circumstance is somewhat of their machination
2: so it's orchestrated by Dion as kind of like a precursor to their public transition because yes
0: Okay. Yeah. So, like, obviously at this point, if you are assigned male at birth and want to live as a woman, we'll discuss their gender next episode. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of can't just, like, say that. Mm-hmm. Obvious. Yeah. yeah. Especially mm-hmm. when you're quite famous for being a disgraced spy. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> yeah. the argument here would be that they, you know, decided that they wanted to live as a woman and thought, how can I make that happen? Mm-hmm. And the only real way to do it, or, I mean... I'll, I'll take other suggestions <laughs> i am sure that other trans people have come up with solutions so i retract that mm-hmm. but the way they think of to do it is to convince everyone that they were assigned female at birth in the first place and that they've been living as a man this whole time but that that's not their quote-unquote real sex
1: look yes
0: <laughs> admittedly
1: uh-huh <laughs> were i a disgraced spy yes and was that the skill set i had available to me mm-hmm Maybe that would be the kind of plan I would come up with. Yeah.
2: That's true. Like they have been in a complex political yeah. world for like, their whole life. This might be the kind of thing they think of.
1: And to be clear, obviously that's assuming that is my motivation, assuming that I've thought through the consequences of that. Th- there's a lot of assumptions here mm. that have made, but I can, I guess, see the world in which
0: that... Yeah, I is think how you would act saying have they thought out the consequences to that I mean that's something that will like come out again as we see the consequences of this but we've seen what this person is like and they're not necessarily the type of person who thinks through consequences
2: mm. yeah. of their actions
0: mm. like you know they're not in a heated political situation they're in a unending exile they can kind of take their time with this one I guess but yeah. still
2: I think the main thing for me that makes me question whether that was indeed their plan was how long you said this went on for Mm -hmm. because if that was their plan wouldn't they have paid off a doctor earlier on in the process
0: well i think that i mean submitting to a medical examination seems to be something that is treated as like very invasive and undignified throughout this Mm -hmm. and they're obviously someone who's concerned with honor
2: okay yeah yeah
0: just may not want that to happen Mm. Mm. Uh, also like Sorry. So,
1: and so the person who came over from yeah. France yes. wasn't a doctor. Or no, 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 no. It's no. Just like some guy. That maybe does change how Dion feels about it.
2: Mm. Yeah. That it's
1: not a yeah. formal medical examination.
0: It's just like yeah. some dude like, being like, I confirm this is a woman. There's no implication here that Boris sends this guy over and is like, hey, find a way to look at Dion naked. Mm. It's just find out the truth. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. It should also be mentioned mm-hmm. that this is in sort of 1772 that that happens. So this has been going on for like a, a while by then, but you know, like a couple years. Mm. Um. And in terms of time for a rumor to spread and to become something that the public believes to be quite plausibly possibly true, mm. that's not that long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that's uh, true. Yeah, a lot of the time between then and when their exile ends is spent negotiating how they're going to leave exile Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. which takes some time yeah one further potential piece of evidence is a sub-genre within their library so i mentioned before the kind of books that they had in their library and how it's a lot of stuff that we would expect and that's mostly true except for one exception which is What Gary Cates describes as, quote, at least 40 to 60 books about women, which is a weirdly vague number, but we'll just say, like, roughly 50 books about women. So, 50 books, especially in a library of 6,000 books, does not sound like a lot. Mm. But outside of large public libraries, there is no comparable collection of books about women in any private collection that we know of. Okay. So, this is significant. The nature of these books is sort of a representation of an early feminist genre. So some hallmarks of the texts are that they'll discuss important contributions to history made by women, and they'll assert that women are the equals or even the superiors of men. Um, They'll minimize biological differences between men and women and emphasize morality Mm -hmm. as being a more important differentiation instead. And so Gary Cates doesn't really pursue this too much, but he states, and I'm inclined to agree, that it seems unlikely to be a coincidence that the person who is soon to become a woman amassed this unique collection. So if we're going to take this as evidence of something, what we could take it as evidence of is that, you know, they're thinking a lot about gender and about women and what it means to be a woman Mm -hmm. and so forth. And then around the same time rumors began to spread that they really are a woman and have been this whole time and when asked directly by someone from their circle within the french government they say yes so that's obviously not a lot of evidence to go on but it is some evidence Mm. and Mm. although we you know like you may wish to argue and i wouldn't necessarily disagree that that isn't conclusive. I also think it's compelling enough that we can't just disregard all of that.
2: I mean, I think it's reasonably compelling and also I don't know what what other good explanations do we have
0: for this course of events. So there's this interesting thing where like in my opinion a lot of the people who've written about this kind of don't really even take the issue head on and sort of skirt around a lot of the questions that I have of this. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a lot of like examples from scholarship of conflicting claims people have made that I want to dismiss. Uh, Like people will offer other claims. Like I I mentioned how some people have said this is them trying to affect a political situation in in which they can leave. But there's just not a lot of highly developed thought around that. I guess, you know, if we want to assume that someone else started the rumours we can talk about how they would have felt pressured to act within that Mm. but like if they if they did not want to live as a woman it seemed pretty easy to not do that
2: yeah Um, like if you
1: although on the other hand yeah assuming they didn't start the rumors Mm. at the point at which is this has been going on for several years Mm. you can't ever disprove a rumor And so they may have reached the point where life as a man was untenable because they were never going to be able to prove that they were a man. I mean, but in in a way that was satisfying, in a a way that was not invasive to them. Hmm. Like, I don't think that that's the case, to be clear. Hmm. I'm just saying that's like...
0: An argument that you could make.
1: Yeah, an argument that you could make. I
0: guess I think that if we're saying like life is untenable to them does a cisgender man view transitioning and living as a woman for several decades as more comfortable than that like i don't know
1: yeah well i mean obviously we haven't gotten to that part of the story yeah Um, yeah at this point i'm at this point i'm simply talking about them leaving london and mm. going back to france
2: i don't know let's continue i'm curious to see what effect on their life publicly transitioning will have, because I think that will affect how I would consider their decision to do
0: that. Um, So as we've been hinting at, this is eventually going to lead to the end of their decade in exile. All throughout this decade, Dion has been urging the French to let them go home. And Louis had no intention of doing that. Dion would make trouble in France and in England, they could just be a spy and Louis felt that they could control them more and they would be more useful over there. And then Louis got sick and died on May 10th of 1774. Roy wrote a report on the secret for the new king, Louis, Louis Louis XVI, who is only 20. Dun, uh, dun, dun! <laughs> yeah. So we are just going to continue to refer to the king as Louis as if he has not changed into an entirely different man.
1: <laughs> the Dread Pirate Roberts.
0: <laughs> Louis is horrified when he learns that the secret exists and he insists that it immediately be shut down. Pretty reasonable, frankly. Pretty yeah. reasonable. He also scraps the plan to invade England, instead wanting to move against England by supporting the American Revolution.
2: I think all around a superior Louis, thus far. Thus far. <laughs> like, thus far. <laughs> I know things are gonna happen.
0: Part of Broy's report included explanation of Daniel's situation, basically confirming, like, yeah, yeah, she's a woman. Um, so that's how Louis XVI views Daniel. Louis wanted the situation resolved and agreed to bring Dayon home and continue paying them a pension and extend protection over them in exchange for those secret papers that still exist.
2: Oh, yeah. And that are still in England. (laughs) Yes, they are. I'd forgotten about those during the gender
0: times. Yep, the gender times. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's the decade we've just passed through. Yep. So they send a guy called Beaumarchais, who is an inventor and a writer who's kind of risen through society and become quite rich and who Daon has dealt with before. Mm -hmm. He gets sent over to negotiate with Daon, and that takes a while Mm -hmm. because neither side wants to give the other one anything. Mm -hmm. During these negotiations, there's a lot of squabbles over money. Dayon also wants it publicly declared that Gershi tried to kill them and that they were never an outlaw. Um, And they also want it to be declared publicly that they are a woman. That is a condition of their return home. The terms that Louis suggested included that Dayon begin wearing women's clothes. Uh, Dayon did not care for that and made the following amendment saying... I submit to declaring my sex publicly and to resume and to wear till death women's clothes, unless in consideration of my being so long accustomed to wearing my military uniform and only after long suffering, his majesty consents to me reassuming masculine ones, should I find it impossible to bear the discomfort of the others. So, let me just try and parse sure. that old-timey language. Do you language? want me to, like, just kind of restate this? Yeah, um, <laughs> in normal English. So, Dionne kind of says, I'll wear women's clothes, but if I really, really hate it because I've been wearing a military uniform for so long, um, then Louis should let me wear the military uniform. Okay. Dan also wants the crown to pay for a new wardrobe. If they're going to have to wear women's clothes, then the king is going to buy the women's clothes.
2: I mean, that seems fair. I imagine women's clothes, like... When you're in this level
0: of society, yeah, pretty expensive. It should be noted that they are like quite strapped for cash. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah. They have been getting a pension, but previous Louis wasn't like great about paying on time, and there were various points where they were like in debt and stuff. So mm. yeah, you know, like, okay. So they mm-hmm. can't necessarily afford a new wardrobe right now, anyway. Yeah, like we, we can read into that. I'm not saying we shouldn't, but it may also just be like you pay for it. Yeah, yeah. you owe me money anyway buy me things. <laughs> I <Like fair. laughs> Yes. eventually they do agree to terms in seventeen seventy five, and although they signed it on the fourth of November, they back it to the fifth of October, which is their birthday. Okay. In various papers that they have that will refer to their two births. And I mention this because that just seems pretty trans.
1: <laughs> that is <laughs> <It yeah. does. laughs> yeah. That's a that's a pretty trans kind of thing.
0: Yeah. So it seems like they're gonna get to go home soon. And then it comes out that Beaumarchais has been betting a bunch of money on them being a woman, because they know it's about to be like formally declared <gasps> that they're a woman, and he's like, I'm going to cash in.
2: That's terrible.
0: Yeah, it is terrible. I hate him. Uh, the betting had actually died down a bit by this point, but it stirred up again because of this.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Beaumarchais' assistant openly admitted to Dayon at dinner that he and Beaumarchais were betting and didn't really see the problem, uh, and offered to give Dayon some of the money they were about to make. <laughs> Jason, I feel like you should vocalize the face you're making in some way. Oh
1: boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like no. Oh my god, just not understanding how Dion feels about the betting at all. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's uh, just uh, no good. Dion ends up challenging Beaumarchais' assistant to a duel, which I feel like they're just trying to get to a duel so hard, and no one's letting them. The Westminster Gazette reported that he had, in response to this duel, said that quote, "It was impossible for him to meet Dion anywhere but in a bed, because she's a woman." Get it? <laughs> uh, so uh... then, Dion tried to sue this guy for libel. That evidence was produced that Dion had been like publicly trash talking this guy so the courts were like at the very least you've been libeling each other please leave <laughs> and obviously Deon feels very betrayed by this and also possibly feels potentially in danger again mm-hmm. and uh, Beaumacher is also while this is going on telling people that he and Dion are in love and composing oh what ballads on the matter uh and so Deon flees to their friend's country estate again fair and just is to deal with the situation the reason I include this part of the story is that it indicates the misogyny that they now have to deal with you
2: know yeah
0: Dell is clear in letters back home complaining about these guys that part of their problem with them isn't just that they're doing this to them but that it's a pattern of behavior that they perceive in how they talk about and treat women in general It should also be noted that obviously this misogyny was being directed at them more widely, so the English had been quite fond of them because they were viewed as being very bold and very rebellious, and all of a sudden these traits are just no longer ones that the English public prizes in them. Mm-hmm. They're viewed as being inappropriate and ones that they should be stifling and so forth because they're a woman now.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: The public now pretty much unanimously agrees that they're is a woman and questions why they're not just accepting it and going home to France. It's also revealed at this time that they'd been spying for Louis XV, <laughs> which further turns the English public against them. Not that, like, the whole invasion plan, mm. but, you know, there's some information going around about how they'd been doing stuff undercover Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. those who had bet that they were a woman tried to collect and those who bet that they were a man demanded proof Uh, they were offered huge sums of money to submit to examination by a doctor which they refused Uh, various parties took each other to court and one man who had bet that they were a woman was paid 700 pounds at that point many of those who had bet they were a man just paid up rather than having to go to court gary Cates conceptualizes this moment as kind of a triumph for daeom As we've discussed in Cates' opinion, they've been trying to make everyone view them as a woman for years, and, you know, with these kind of court settlements, with the betting being finalised, that is somewhat a, a public declaration of that. When you look at Dion's writing regarding this time, though, specifically regarding the trials about the bedding they write i took to bed in my depression and isolation begging the heavens for relief from my anxiety and confusion so there's obviously a lot of negative feeling going on um i think to some degree this is a reasonable response like however we understand their gender Mm -hmm. because of this public discussion of their body that's being freely indulged in Mm -hmm. Uh, you know like if we think about the comments that Beaumarchais is making um this is like a wide-scale public extension of that, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And so obviously anyone is going to find that upsetting, Mm. even if it's part of their master plan, ultimately. Yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's in this hostile climate that they finally, on the 14th of August, 1777, leave England and return to France. Arriving in France down is immediately watched by people who are reporting to the foreign minister, Mm-hmm. Travelling towards Versailles, they plan to stay the night in a convent on the way, uh, but problems arise when they get there because Deon is refusing to take off their dragoon uniform. They're not allowed to stay in the nunnery until they take off the military uniform. They're not taking the military uniform off. They dine that evening with Dom Boudier, who is the abbot of the town's monastery, and he exhorts them to put on women's clothes. Mm-hmm. They confide that they're very shaken by this reception, and they're considering going back to London uh, but the abbot informs them that they're being followed and they will be arrested if they try. This is pretty okay. intense. Yeah. Once again. Yes. Eventually, they end up sleeping the night in quarters in the monastery that are kept for visiting female family members of the monks. Okay. So, you know. Okay. Mm. The issue does not go away when they reach Versailles. Vergen, the foreign minister, met with Deon. They'd always gotten on pretty well in the past. mm mm-hmm. um, So they had high hopes that this guy is going to let them continue to dress as they want to but instead they're dismayed to find that he begs them to dress as a woman virgin also gave them an order signed by the king telling them to put on women's clothes and it's made clear that they're going to be arrested if they don't start dressing as a woman what, so, a, what a bizarre thing
2: to have a royal
0: order I, I know I, I, yeah
2: I mean I also think that this was just the case in France at the time I know it was the case in the 19th century in France that it was just illegal for women to wear pants.
0: So, yeah, like, regardless
2: like, of their whole situation, they're breaking the law. Yeah, but that's
0: also bizarre. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm not saying that's and, not weird.
1: And also, you know, I doubt that those laws were often, like... a I doubt that the enforcement of those laws was often coming directly from Louis.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like, obviously these are extreme circumstances. So it's clear that the attempts to get them to dress as a woman come from a desire to force them into a conventional female role. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just about a skirt. Don Boudier, for example, records his frustration with Dion saying that they were too assertive and they weren't easy to manipulate, and that he thought this would change once they started dressing like a woman. To Louis XVI, Dion is a problem that he's trying to get tucked away, and he thinks that making them into a conventional woman is going to be something that can silence them permanently. Dion is also clearly aware that this is what's happening, they protest that they shouldn't have to wear a dress, by pointing to their political achievements, saying that there's no reason that being a woman should prevent them from further service to their country. So the putting on of women's clothes is not just about confirming that they're a woman, but about what kind of woman they'll be and how they'll be restricted as a woman in mm-hmm. France. So the French public is quite divided on whether or not they should be made to wear women's clothes or not. Mm. Other dragoons sometimes supported their right to keep wearing the uniform. Mm-hmm. Not so much because they wanted female soldiers per mm-hmm. se, but because the appointment to the dragoons was meant to be for life, oh, yeah. and they didn't like the implication that that could be taken away, mm-hmm. regardless mm-hmm. of the circumstances. Many women, on the other hand, wrote to down exhorting them to take on female dress, because they viewed this as an affirmation of down's womanhood, and therefore an affirmation that all of the things that they've achieved in their life are things that women can do. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're quite admired, you know, they're someone who has achieved... Political things. They're a writer. They've been in the military and so forth. And these are discussions that people are having. You know, can women achieve these things when mm. given equal opportunity to men, or are they inherently weaker? And here's this great example that they can.
1: Yeah, and that's really interesting because it's seemingly from Dion's perspective, taking off the uniform and putting on a dress is kind of stripping themselves of those achievements.
0: Dion does eventually concede to wear women's clothes, but it's clear that they do this out of the immense pressure that's being placed on them instead of actually deciding that they want to do this. Mm-hmm. Regarding it, they write, "'I'll make my decision as a brave captain. Many years ago, Regulus, a prisoner of war, on his word of honour returned to Carthage, certain of being placed in a barrel, pierced with large arrowheads and hurled down from his city's highest point, point. and they compare their return to Versailles to this.'" They also write do you think a Christian maiden will be more timid than the pagan regulus to go into a pierced barrel? I'll go where honor calls me and pushes me even if my heart should be pierced by a thousand darts. That's some beautiful writing. It is yeah. Back at Versailles they stay with the Genet family in order to learn how to be a woman explicitly. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like to learn how to perform femininity acceptably. Yeah. Okay. Is that something they chose to do or is uh, that something that was thrust upon them? That is thrust upon them. Okay. I think part of the implication is like stay with these people so they can keep an eye on you and then hopefully you'll start conforming to what we want you to be. And it's in this context that they are first dressed as a woman uh the wardrobe director to marie antoinette is charged with giving them a new wardrobe which is very fancy okay not at all wanted but very fancy
2: i guess they did manage to convince the king to pay for their wardrobe oh yeah the king is paying for this yeah
0: good good when she asked deon what they needed Dion replied truthfully mademoiselle i do not yet know what i need i only know that it is more difficult to equip a lady than a company of dragoons from head to foot on the 21st of October, 1777, they dressed as a woman for the first time. It took four hours and ten minutes. After, Dion went upstairs to the bathroom and sobbed bitterly, quote, until I ran out of tears. They compared it to crossing the Rubicon and later wrote, despite the complete change in my clothing, my heart does not feel any different. After this point, they dress as a woman until the end of their life and they start signing their letters with the female form of Chevalier. Okay. So... How are you feeling so far? I mean, that last quote and
1: that last little bit of story... Yes. Felt very much like someone who didn't necessarily want to be a man and didn't also necessarily want to fulfil the social role of a woman.
0: Yes. And I think, (laughs) objectively, that's like you can then add things and say therefore i think they are this mm. but i think those two statements of this is someone who has chosen not to live as a man and who does not want to fulfill social roles placed upon women i am mm. fairly comfortable stating yeah Uh, We'll get more into what that means in the second episode. And there is more stuff that contextualizes how they're feeling. Like, as I've mentioned, we have a lot of um, writings that they do quite late in their life. Mm -hmm. And so I've chosen to leave them until the end of their life because they're best viewed in the sort of mental framework that they're in then. Yep. But yeah, I found it quite surprising, to be honest, because I'd, I'd heard people talk about them as a trans woman and I very much went into this being like, oh... Scholar, you are saying that they are a man, but like, I don't believe you. And I'm assuming that they're a trans woman. And then I encountered all of this and I found that very confronting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And obviously we should indicate at this point that we don't think that them not wanting to be traditionally feminine means that they're not a trans woman trans women don't have to be traditionally feminine many of them aren't
2: i also think when you see like the misogyny they immediately started to experience once they were mm-hmm. viewed as a woman and like misogyny today is pretty awful but misogyny in that time is infinitely worse and yeah. the fact that dressing someone as a woman took four hours like if you hadn't grown up with these things in that time and they were suddenly yeah. thrust upon you they're gonna be awful mm. like just because you're not used to them whether or not that i mean it seems that they' on did not want this but whether or not you really knew going in whether you wanted this or not mm. it's just going to be a huge shock yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah no i think that's that's a really good point and you know that the quote that you read earlier about them referring to it as crossing the rubicon mm. yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah. um uh, particularly in the context of the fact that they know this has political implications for how they're perceived mm. Uh knowing that this is something that they are not doing on their terms and that they can't take back.
2: Mm. Yeah, mm.
0: yeah. It is quite intense. We, unfortunately, like, as I've been mentioning throughout this whole episode, can't really make any more sure conclusions than mm. that. Um, so I look forward to hearing what you guys think when we talk about the rest of their life next time. Um, do you have anything else that you want to add or uh, speculate about? Or uh, No, I, th- think,
1: I think at this point we've given our opinions and we're ready to hear what happens next
0: until next time you can find us on social media we're on twitter tumblr and facebook as queer as fact if you would like to plaster our logo all over your beautiful body you can go to our Redbubble, where you can get shirts and leggings and pens no that's not true. no you can't get pens um, that's false
1: but you can get mugs which don't generally go on your body but you can put them on your body if you would like
0: yeah like notebooks you can like put one over your face while you're napping in the library you, know, <laughs> like. you are a being of endless creativity and we trust you to make it work mm-hmm. You can also, if you're still listening after that, (laughs) support us on Patreon if you would like to throw some spare change our way. Uh, It's helping us make some big plans for the future in terms of sounding a little less like we record in an abandoned sewer and maybe (laughs) having some books that we didn't have before and all kinds of fun jazz. Uh, If you do support us on Patreon, one of the things you'll get to do is to vote on what our future episode topics will be. Um, We've finished doing polls for the season now, but we're starting to think about what we're going to put up for next season. And there's some really stuff there. Uh, So if you sign up soon, you'll get to get in in time for those polls and use us as research puppets for your (laughs) whims. If you would like a free way to support us, you can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, which really helps us to find a wider audience. If you do review us, we will eventually get around to reading your review out on this podcast. This review comes from Twin Britain from Great Britain. It is five stars, and it's titled The History Teachers You Wish You Had at School. Oh! It reads, I love listening to you guys. You are so entertaining and informative. Sometimes I need to stop myself from laughing when in the office. <laughs> Would not have learned about any of these fascinating people at school. So good that you're bringing these wonderful people back to life. Only up to episode 30. Only... That's and a so we're wow. You're listening in order. Why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm glad that's working out for you apparently, but I wouldn't listen to the early ones.
1: Eli, <laughs> I know you, yeah, and you know you, yeah, and we both know that you're a completionist, yeah. So no, I
0: wouldn't do that from our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Not for a podcast. <laughs> I want to know what episode 30 is. I think my favorite ones so far were the ones about Yoshi Nobuko and Toby Jansen well good Hi. job Irene yeah. she's not here today <laughs> uh, but have loved everyone I just listened to the fan fiction from one of your listeners and oh my that was brilliant thank you face. <laughs> oh, I have not thought about that I in so long about, Well, I hope that the author of that fan fiction is listening because like now she has a fan and you could write fanfic about her and we could get really weird in here with it <laughs> um, thank you so much for your review that's super nice especially the part about you laughing in your office that's wild to me <laughs> Like, that's just nuts. (laughs) Hmm. We'll read one more. Um, Their username is fueled by Turf Tears, which is a whole big mood. Good job. Uh, And it is entitled Lovely, 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 Lovely. Just like a glass of Turf Tears. Uh, (laughs) Did you read that yourself? (laughs) No! Wait, yes. What? I don't know what your question was. Anyway. It is also five stars, and it reads whereas fact is to podcast what blankets and hot chocolate are to cold winter evenings Oh,
2: that was very good
1: that noise came from me <laughs>
2: yeah, <I did>.
0: somehow <laughs> um it's always a pleasure to cuddle up to the lovely hosts figuratively speak wait wait start bracket figuratively speaking end bracket and disappear into the gentle narratives they so expertly weave with humour intelligence and sensitivity if you're a researcher <laughs> Jason's just like dying <laughs> of happiness <laughs> if you're a researcher and want a good background on an individual from history listen to this podcast if you're a young queerling that's adorable queeling <laughs> and want to know more about your community's past listen to this podcast if you're a college dropout and you want to feel like you're still learning listen to this podcast if you're sad and you need a big oral hug listen to this <laughs> podcast also Aww. maybe talk to a therapist you're not alone it gets better Aww. this person is so lovely oh my god mm-hmm Um, if you want all the juicy tabloid gossip, but the celebrities of today are just too white and or heterosexual, listen to this podcast. (laughs) If you're using the PodCoin app and want to make money by listening to podcasts, that was an option. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, we can Google that in our own time. Uh, Listen to this podcast or just leave it playing silently in the background, whatever suits you. Uh, If you have no friends and want to pretend you're part of a lively friendship group by joining in with a conversation like you're actually sat with the host of the podcast... (laughs) we encourage that and as we've said multiple times if you listen to this podcast we are friends it's true yeah that's true like that's the vibe we're trying to create we don't get to go back on it anyway this person was mid-sentence so i apologize then you're a little bit strange but no judgment here listen to this podcast <laughs> if you're a cisgender heterosexual baby boomer who wants to scoff at the deviant millennials and their debaucherous ways then listen to this podcast and learn some <clears throat> we don't say that word on the podcast it's, it's what you think it is, but, like, we don't swear on this podcast. The hosts of this podcast are wonderful, and you should definitely listen to them. That was such a lovely review. That was such a lovely review. Thank you so much. That was very well written, frankly. It was yeah. very nice to read. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes. Thank you. It felt like an inspirational speech about it why did. our podcast should be listened to. Maybe we should read these at the start. <laughs> <laughs> to get us in
0: the mood. Yeah. Um, anyway, that is so, so lovely, and I hope you're having a great day.
1: Yeah. If, if I was going to, and... I guess I should preface this by saying that I am a marketing professional. If I was going to make an ad for Queer as Fact, <laughs> yeah, that is the review that I would use. <laughs> Big words.
0: And <laughs> it would just like and it would just end with um, "Brought to you by Fueled by Turf Tears." Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Fueled by Turf Tears.
0: Yes, we'll be back on the first of October when it'll be this again. It'll still be this. This will still be the topic. Until then, I'm Eli. I'm Alice. I'm Jason. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you then.